From the studios of Advancing Vibrant Communities in Modesto, California, this is Lighthouse Live Radio on the Lighthouse Live International Podcasting Network. Welcome to Lighthouse Live, the radio voice of advancing vibrant communities. Our mission is to motivate believers to move out from the four walls of the church to personally serve the needs of their neighborhoods. Get ready for a no-holds-barred, honest look at the Christian lifestyle the way Christ commanded it to be. All that and more coming right up here on Lighthouse Live. Good evening to you, wherever you may be. Pastor Mike Douglas here, along with our producer and co-host, Elaine Harlan, along the Lighthouse Live International Podcasting Network, wherever you are in the world. Great to have you with us, and a special welcome to those of you who are listening uh, overseas, and it's just great to see all those different places that we can't even pronounce, Elaine, that are are listening in, and uh, just love to have you with us here at Advancing Vibrant Communities, and of course, joining us today is our predecessor, the inimitable Mr. Owl, Al Ramsey, and a special guest today, hasn't been with us for a while, but a long-time friend, uh, Mike Winther, uh, joining us from the Institute of Principal Studies, and uh, we're going to be talking about the Declaration of Independence and what it's all about and and, uh, how it's influenced our culture and how we're messing it up and all those oh did i i gave it away didn't that, that i summarizes it yeah, right. i kind of missed yeah well how we sign off now too. can't we yeah, all right. no way we're gonna keep them for a while that's right well we're gonna get to that in just a couple of minutes let's check in with our friends from voice of the martyrs Hey, what's up? This is Toby Mack with a story of real-life Jesus freaks from the Voice of the Martyrs. The list of churches attacked by the Taliban during a February raid in Karachi, Pakistan has been released. They were Christ United Church, Philadelphia Pentecostal Church, ARP Church, Salvation Army Church, and two other public churches. Contacts with the Voice of the Martyrs confirmed several children were injured and Christian homes and Bibles were burned in the raids. Eyewitnesses also report the Taliban shouting, Accept Islam! Accept Islam! during the attacks. Still, the work of the church continues in Pakistan, and VOM is expediting specific help to Pakistani believers in support of these efforts. For details, go online to persecution.com. You know, when it hits the ground, uh, denominationalism really doesn't have much relevance, does it? Uh, to the to the persecuted church again, friends. We encourage you to be in prayer for our brothers and sisters around the world who are being persecuted. And I think, Mike, uh, you know, it just tells us how important it is for us to be thankful for, al- although they're being attacked, what freedoms that we have. Yeah, and we should be jealous to preserve those freedoms. Amen. Uh, our, our freedoms have never been free. Uh, they've come to a price from from someone. Yeah, absolutely, mm-hmm. absolutely right. Well, talking about freedoms, legal freedoms, let's check in with Brad Dacus. It's time for The Legal Edge, a look at your rights as a Christian, a parent, and a citizen. And now, with a look at what's happening on the legal front, the president of the Pacific Justice Institute, 
Brad Dacus. A number of school districts have announced that they will be canceling their summer school programs this year due to budget constraints. While this is a major inconvenience to many students and their families, there is a silver lining. You see, as government contracts its services, opportunities arise for churches, youth ministries, and private individuals to step up to the plate and offer alternative summer programs instead. Churches can offer summer academic, biblical, or public service ministries for today's youth who have suddenly become idle. Amidst these hard economic times, let's not ignore this great opportunity to display the transforming love and truth of Jesus Christ. I'm Brad Dacus. To find out more about The Legal Edge, call 916-857-6900 or log on at pacificjustice.org. You know, uh, many of us have have spent many years, especially uh, if we're mentoring or counseling, discipling people, talking about the God-shaped hole that uh, that we have in us. You know what? Our society right now, partially because of the economic crises, uh, our society has God-shaped holes in it. And and the opportunity is here for us to fill those Mm -hmm. voids. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, we were just reading in the paper the other day that... uh, the uh, the county and the city here are going to have to cut back on um, on taking care of the parks, you know, near us. What a great way for churches to adopt parks or neighbors uh, to adopt parks and take care of those as as believers. And uh, you know, just, just more and more opportunities are, are cropping up. There, here's another great one with uh, many of the uh, school programs not happening. Uh, and I would suggest going beyond uh, a a, a Bible camp where you invite people to your facility, go out into the community yes. to their facilities Amen. and do something out there where people normally come. And uh, God has just given us some great open doors, and, and we need to take advantage of those. You bet. Well, let's take a, a look at a few of those opportunities. And, and, Mike, the first one that we're going to look at will remind you of our guest tonight because it's for the Society for Handicapped oh, Children yeah. and Adults. A big <laughs> smile from our guest, Mike Winther, because you can have fun in the sun while helping disabled water skiers with the Summer mm. Skiing Unlimited program. Uh, volunteers age 15 years and older are needed to help out uh, with handicapped skiers and uh, with water activities. Outings will take place at the Modesto Reservoir from 8 a.m. to 3 p.m. on various Saturdays through September. The program provides access to skiing for many blind, deaf, paraplegic, quadriplegic, and developmentally delayed people who otherwise might be denied the opportunity to participate in the sport. With adaptive equipment and special instructions, there are few disabilities too severe to prevent participation. That's great. Volunteers must know how to swim and pass a fingerprint background check if over uh, 18 years of age. Uh, Mr. Al Slack kind of laughing about that. Swimming of course, is a, a good thing. Of course, if I went water skiing, I would become disabled. You think? Well, that be, might sir. be a, a fun That's thing a to watch. That's a little problem there. It would be entertaining. Indeed. We could probably <laughs> sell <entertaining>. tickets. <laughs> There's a fundraiser hey, Mike, right that there. That might be a way to raise those funds. Watch just... Mike mess up on the laser. That would be entertaining. Skiing experience is helpful, Pastor Mike, <laughs> but not required. Uh-huh. The society provides a variety of services and programs designed to enhance the quality of life, yes, for persons of all ages and disabilities that reside in Stanislaw County. What a, a great, great way to serve. You awesome. Yes. And be on the team, yes, of the Central Valley Trojans this is another opportunity 
to share your love of the sport. Pastor Mike doing his, yes, his team thing here. The sport and knowledge of the game with boys and girls ages 6 to 14. Uh, adult volunteers ages 21 and older are needed to coach and condition young football players or cheerleaders for upcoming games and competitions. Uh, Youth volunteers ages 15 to 20 years uh, also needed to help coaches. Uh, Think of the mentoring and leadership by example, uh, building relationships. We just so encourage uh, participation in this. Practices and games are held weekday evenings and Saturdays, depending upon the level coached. Uh, This begins July 13th and runs through November 1st at Castleburg Park in Riverbank. Now, although a good understanding of the game or cheerleading experience is valued, it is not necessary. They say adult volunteers must pass a background check. Central, uh, Central Valley Trojans uh, is a competitive youth and cheerleading program instilling teamwork, respect, outstanding athletic and academic performance, judgment, accountability, nobility, and sportsmanship in boys and girls from ages 6 through 14. And this is a, another chance for you to uh, participate and get involved. And on to the senior facilities where volunteers, yes, relationships, uh, where you can spend time with visiting a senior and gaining a new friend, and we uh, very much encourage this. And if you need some connections to these senior facilities, give us a call here. Or you can call Barbara Borbus. She's uh, uh, very accessible at 209-524-1307, extension 113. Or you can email Barbara at bbarbara at uastand.org. And, uh, again, you can uh, always call us here at 209-544-9571. This just brings to mind the uh, senior facilities and connecting with the senior people that we so oftentimes do here. Uh, A little lady that was uh, blessed by the yard care that was given Mm. on Saturday by the people that went out and mowed the lawns and whacked the weeds for this little woman. Uh, She's 83 years old, and she's the same lady that we told you about last week who did not have the opportunity to shower for two weeks simply because she could not turn on the faucets in her shower. And these uh, these precious uh, youth uh, group from a uh, church here in town went out and mowed her lawn and uh, just blessed her. So that was a wonderful way to, um, to serve the elderly people in our community, and you can do that. And while you're at that, you might want to check on your neighbors during the times of extreme Amen. heat that we are in right now, especially our senior population. Make sure they have a way to keep cool. People who live in mobile home units are especially at high risk for suffering from uh, the heat-related illnesses and death. They live alone or on fixed income many times, very low income, and uh, they're just in fear of many times of turning on their energy um, you know, or, or won't. Or they won't. Because Generationally, of, there, exactly. there's an issue. You know, they don't want to waste the money. They don't want to use the cooling And uh, So especially if you're in a mobile home park or, or live near one, checking on people that you know or even that you don't know in the park, very, uh, very important right now. And the problem is, although we need fans, you know, that can help. Fans actually don't take care of the problem. For, for the elderly to survive, you really need to lower the ambient temperature so it's very important that those air conditioning systems are used and in Stanislaus County it's it's males in their 60s and above uh, are are typically yeah the single males are the ones that die in these in these heat waves a lot of it due to the fact that they're alone nobody's checking on them and they refuse to turn on the air conditioning also if you have window units we want to stress working window units 
uh, because we do not have the staff nor the funds to fix uh, the, the working, the uh, air conditioning. <laughs> Mr. Allison, nope, we if don't. If you have these to donate, please call us. And if you would like to be a part of the team to deliver or install the air conditionings, let us know that as well. Uh, we welcome that because, uh, once again, a lot of people do not have means to uh, keep themselves cool during this extreme heat. Call us at 209-544-9571, and we will get uh, these air conditioning units, swamp coolers and fans connected to the people who need them, uh, and that will be uh, an extreme blessing for sure. Well, we bring you and you are in for a treat uh, this week, a very special Lighthouse Live broadcast as we prepare for and celebrate our independence or 4th of July holiday coming up. And there's no better person to recall our founding fathers and, and what we celebrate, our freedom. And as Mike was saying earlier, you know, our freedom really is not. It comes with a price tag, doesn't it, Mike? Mm -hmm. And Amen. we just want to thank you for carving out your precious time to spend with us. And it's been a long time since you've joined us, but we just are thrilled that you are here to celebrate this 4th of July week with us. And uh, thank you for well, coming. Well, it's always fun to be here with you. Oh, it's great. Amen. You know, Mike, let's, let's go back, Independence Day. Let's go back and talk about um, what that is really based on. I mean, now it's fireworks. Illegal and otherwise. I mean, that, you know that. We don't have any. <laughs> yeah, I won't. I won't burn my neighbors or anything. But <laughs> Independence Day is quite something else on my block. But well, you know, we want to telegraph that stuff. But uh, Mike, we really have lost uh, a lot of our perspective. I had the opportunity this um, this March to go with my eighth grade son back to Washington D.C. and and been back there before. But there was something about. Uh, a tour with a, a faith-based perspective that just gives you uh, a brand new sense of number one appreciation for our history, but number two, an urgency about where we are today. So let's talk about some of those foundations and what we need to remember uh, this Independence Day. Well, you know, as you look at our founding fathers, uh, the decision to declare independence from Great Britain did not come willy-nilly overnight. Uh, most of the colonists uh, in the mid-1700s were loyal British subjects. Uh, most of them, even those that were complaining about the, the tyranny of King George, most of them had no intention of separating. They wanted to be, uh, continue to be English, English citizens. Uh, and really what happened was they had a different foundation of principle than did most of the people in England. And England, uh, the churches had not been as uh, serious about God's word. Uh, of course, you have more of a state-type church, even in the Anglican church in England, where many of the colonists that came here came because they wanted to pursue a fuller understanding of Scripture. They wanted that freedom to do that. And so all through the 1600s and early 1700s, the pulpits in America were full of a fire for biblical principles. Mm. And so the result was that in the 1740s, 1750s, 1760s, the abuses of biblical principle or the straying from biblical principle on the part of the British Parliament and on the part of the king was very uh, annoying, shall I say, to the colonists that were here. And so the end result was they pursued a number of paths to redress those grievances. And that ended up being that the items cited by the Declaration of Independence. But for 20-some years, they sent petitions, they sent emissaries, 
they did all sorts of things to try to remedy the problem. But the, the key is the underlying principles. See, the modern church doesn't really value the concept of liberty. And our founding fathers, uh, those colonists that came here, they believed that there was a biblical mandate for proper liberty. And uh, as I read through scripture, I am convinced of the same thing. But as Christians, a lot of us feel that, oh, it's selfish if I pursue liberty. Uh, you know, I should not be selfish. And uh, if people want to abuse my rights, so be it. Uh, well, that may be okay for you. But are you willing to allow someone else to abuse your neighbor's rights? Mm, mm. And as Christians, we should be jealous for the freedoms and liberty, if not for ourselves, uh, certainly for our children. And if not for our children or in our family dynasty, we should be jealous for our neighbors and our, our friends. Well, I think our, our whole sense of justice has been tweaked. You know, we, we've lost a lot of that, I think, yeah. over the years. And, and you go back and you look at some of the people who, who ignited certain movements uh, throughout our history had a very high sense of, of justice. And, uh, you know, it's something that's lacking now we see in government. It, it, our judicial system is a mess. You know, what, what happened to that? Uh, what, ha, I, I, and I'm sure it wasn't a, a sudden right turn or left turn or the, the light switch went off, but it seems like we've lost the basic foundations of what God defines as his justice. Yeah, and it is a gradual thing. You know, we seldom slide, whether it be in our own personal walk with the Lord or whether it be as a society. We seldom slide overnight. You know, it's a very gradual mm, process. Yes. And that's the same process that our nation has gone into. Uh, our nation is backslidden, uh, if I can use that, mm -hmm. that parallel. <clears throat> and so we have to say, gee, where should our nation be? And that's the first thing. When you find yourself wandering away from the Lord, maybe you're backsliding in your personal walk, uh, all of a sudden, the first thing you have to do is come to a realization, wow, I'm sliding away from Christ. And now what do I do to, to reconcile that? And we have to do the same thing as a nation. And the trouble is the average Christian doesn't have the desire to see the nation reflect righteousness and liberty. And we have to, first of all, recognize that we have slid, and then we have to have a desire to, to correct it. And, you know, the Founding Fathers explored, you know, we talk about the Founding Fathers as if they're like one one mind. Uh, let, let me put that to, to rest. Um, and, and I frequently refer to the Founding Fathers as a body because we don't have the time to explore individually what each of them believes. I wish we did. <laughs> <laughs> but um, they certainly had plenty of disagreements, mm -hmm. and they didn't see everything the same way. Uh, you know, their political landscape was, was littered with all sorts of political controversy, much like mm -hmm. ours is today. The difference is that there was more commonality then. Uh, yes, they debated tooth and nail about various events uh, and about various policies, but they had a broader spectrum of common agreement. And there's certain core biblical principles that even the non-Christian founders adhered to. And, and among those uh, are, one, the idea of the sin nature of man. Now, that's something that with modern evolutionary teaching in our schools, you know, we're taught that <clears throat> everything's relative, there's no absolute right and wrong, and even the church has been infiltrated to some degree by that. But our founding fathers clearly believed in the sin nature of man. That affected the way they organized society and the way they organized government. Because if man is inherently sinful, and that doesn't mean a man, that means all every man, man yes. all mankind. mankind. And if that's the case then we are, uh, none of us um, 
safe. Uh, in other words, you know, any one of us made to be a king, no matter how righteous we might appear at the outset, uh, will probably be corrupted by that power. And I know certainly Mike, you and I would be, right? You know, <laughs> absolute power corrupts, or absolutely. power corrupts, and absolute <laughs> power corrupts, absolutely. Um, so one of their goals was to, first of all, limit the power of government. And they figured the first thing we do to minimize the danger of the sin nature of man is to only give a very small body of powers to government. The more power you give government, the more temptation there is to draw the unscrupulous, the more temptation there is for the the honorable to become unscrupulous. And so they set out a constitution with the idea of limiting government power. In addition, they wanted to um, decentralize power. And the whole idea of decentralization is really key for understanding the political philosophy and I believe the biblical philosophy. You know, the Bible lays out, even in the Old Testament, a separate role for the king or prior to the kings, for the judges, a separate role for the priests. There was a separation of church and state even in, in the Old Testament, uh, in ancient Israel. And so they wanted to preserve this institutional separation where they wanted the family as a God-ordained institution mm. to be very, very powerful. Uh, they wanted the church as a God-ordained institution to be very, very powerful. And they wanted civil government as a God-ordained institution to be very weak. And so that was their main goal. And they identified three God-ordained institutions in order of creation, family government, then church government, and then civil government, or what we might call the, the state. And they reckoned that the most dangerous of the three, the one that is most subject to the sin nature of man, would be civil government and the state. And so that was one of the key things they set out to do was to decentralize power. And they do it institutionally. They did it um, within the government, vertically and horizontally, uh, vertically from local government, state government to federal government. They separate those powers. Within the federal government, we separate it horizontally through the executive, the legislative, the judicial branch. Uh, nowadays, people don't understand the need for separation, and, and most mm. Americans don't even care about it. You know, Mike, as we look at the moral backbone and the decline <laughs> of all of these institutions and these, these different And what we have done <clears throat> is we in the political realm have taken power from the local governments and much of that power is shifted to the state governments. Mm -hmm. And the power that used to be with the state governments 100 years ago now is shifted to the federal government. And unfortunately, some of the powers that belong to the federal government have now been shifted, unconstitutionally, I might add, to international yeah. bodies and agencies. And so we see a shifting of power away from the people to broader and broader areas. And uh, you know, your listeners don't have to think too hard. Just ask a question. Where do you have more influence? And where is there more accountability at your city council or at the United Nations. The further removed the government body is from you, the less accountability you have. And we ought to have the majority of government function and power be as local as possible where there's the greatest amount of accountability. Well, and I think we see that played out, Mike, during an emergency. You know, where it really happens is in that first response by the first responders. You know, they are the ones that... Within that first 72 hours, they're the ones that save the lives. They're the ones that rescue people. And then the, the stuff that comes in later, 
we, we used to lovingly call it femur, but FEMA, <laughs> <coughs> you know, that can last for year, decades, actually, mm-hmm. in terms of, of the recovery. And people really, they have this false sense that, wow, the federal government is going to come in and make it okay. And, uh, you know, it, it gets back to this principle. It's the local, it's the neighborhood that makes the difference that actually um, really turns things upside down for good. The fr- as you say, the further you get removed, the worse it gets. And and again, I you know I'm not putting down FEMA. I mean, you know it has a function, but but I think in our our thinking today, Mike, we've turned things upside down and we've made the federal government the thing, and it's probably the the worst in terms of efficiency. It's going to be the least efficient. Uh, you can just bank on it that a a state program will be less efficient than a county program. And a federal program will be less efficient than a state program. And an international program will be less efficient mm. than a national program. And so these are things our founding fathers understood. And that's why the Constitution of our country sets forth a federal government with very small, specific, enumerated powers. These people were brilliant, weren't they? You know, by and large, they were. I mean, they were not without flaw. Sure. Uh, and I go through and, and maybe give a couple of critiques to the founding fathers, but I don't suppose you would find in any era of time more wisdom on human nature, on solid principles, on how government ought to operate. Uh, if you were going to take a room and fill it full of 40 or 50 people and create the most wisdom possible, uh, I don't think you'd find any era of time other than the 1700s in America where you could come up with that much wisdom. You know, and, and certainly Thomas Jefferson was not, you know, the epitome of of uh, Christianity by by any by any means, uh, and yet very God gifted. I mean, yeah. just walking around in Monticello, uh, it's amazing to see the breadth of knowledge of this man. Yeah. You know, whether it was navigation or it was, uh, you know, sundials or uh, it was, you know, African history, whatever it was. The man was just well-read, uh, had a wide breadth of knowledge, and synthesized, you know, all of that into some incredible, incredible wisdom. And I think, Mike, as you look at that, God gifted uh, some some people with tremendous wisdom during that period. And I don't know that we've really see, seen that kind of nexus since, well, for another 200-some-odd years. Yeah, and let me identify the source of that wisdom. <clears throat> I honestly believe the source of that wisdom was the preaching from the pulpits mm. in the 50 years yes, prior to that. Yes, mm. yes. Uh, I have a volume in my office uh, called, um, uh, oh, now the name escapes me. It is Political Sermons of the American Founding Era. Mm. And this is a volume of over 2,000 pages of fine print. And it incorporates uh, hundreds and hundreds of sermons delivered by pastors uh, in the early 1700s in America. Now, the reason we have these is because the style of preaching was different then than it is now. Mm-hmm. Uh, most pastors today probably go up to the pulpit with an outline, okay. and they preach mm-hmm. from an outline. Mm-hmm. Not too many pastors will script a sermon <clears throat> word, word for word. word. Right. And, and we're probably blessed by that. You know, the, the, the speaker who reads a message word for word and never looks up uh, may not be the most enthralling uh, speaker. But the preachers of that era were trained and had the practice of scripting their sermon word for word. Uh, there were a couple reasons for this, but one was because of distances. Uh, some people could not make church as regularly. And so the sermons were uh, printed and distributed, sometimes in the local newspapers. Mm. Uh, that has historical benefit to us today because we still have the manuscripts of many of these sermons. 
And what you'll discover is that the colonial pastors of the time were not afraid to preach the biblical implications of any and every public policy issue. Mm-hmm. doesn't matter if they were discussing dredging the <clears throat> Potomac, whether they were discussing <clears throat> shipping, they were discussing the criminal justice system. The pastors were preaching on these things from the pulpit with power and bringing God's word and principles of God's word to bear. And many of our founding fathers sat under that, that teaching and preaching. And, and what we had was a time when even the non-Christians uh, who were in leadership were clearly inculcated in the Christian way of thinking. So even the unsaved thought like Christians and accepted biblical principles. Uh, and, and Thomas Jefferson, there's some debate about whether or not he actually was, was saved or not. And I think it may depend upon which period of his life you, you look at. But he was uh, inculcated. He was uh, bathed in a Christian tradition of Christian principles. And that is why those principles were, were so much at the forefront of the founding of America. And there's a lesson for us today. We don't have to convert every soul to help people come to wisdom and knowledge that comes from Scripture. And yes, we'd love to save every soul. But even those people who maybe aren't going to choose Christ or who God has not ordained to be saved, uh, those people still can be trained in a biblical worldview. And if those people have a leadership role, society will be blessed mm-hmm. by that worldview. Amen. I was going to ask you guys, don't you look forward into talking to some of these men? Yeah. When we reach the other Mm. side of eternity, I mean, just the same as we want to talk to the Apostle Paul or Peter or some of the others and just talk to them about some of these things. I mean, they were Mm. great men. I think that's that's an awesome thought to to just ponder. I I, Mm -hmm. I do. I think that would be a, a marvelous thing. Yeah, and you know, they, again, we we have to be careful not to over overbuild them. Uh, you know, they were sinners. Uh, they were flawed as individuals, we as we are. Yes. Uh, but see, what we need to do is we need to stand on the shoulders of giants. Mm. And God's kingdom is advanced when we can stand on the shoulders of great saints that have gone before us. That's one of the reasons I recommend people read Christian biographies of great yes. Christian saints, Amen. because it helps us to have an appreciation for their life. <clears throat> And hopefully we can take a foundation of where they were and maybe we can stand on their shoulders and we can reach even further. Amen. We give God great thanks for your calling, Mike, and we yeah. celebrate. Great song here to celebrate. We're going to listen to Lee Greenwood's America the Beautiful, and we will be back with lots more on Lighthouse Live. Oh, beautiful. For spacious skies, for amber waves of for purple mountain majesties. Yeah. 
Lighthouse Live with Pastor Mike Elaine and the president of the Institute for Principal Studies, Mike Winther, our good friend and brother, is with us this week as we celebrate our independence in the United States of America. Mike, we're so happy that you are with us to uh, celebrate with us tonight and this week when wherever our dear friends may happen to be listening, and we just uh, are thrilled that you are with us. And we just wanted to take a moment and talk about the fact that you are the president of the uh, Institute of Principal Studies, and uh, you've been going strong now for several years. Uh, four years. Four years. has been four years now. <laughs> yep. oh, my, my goodness. goodness. Wow. You know, we were talking earlier about that uh, that, that hole that, Placed within us that burning desire, and uh, you had this uh, this desire within you for a long time to do something like this. And we just appreciate the fact that you have this is a calling, this is your ministry to do this, and you do it so well. And we uh, just give God great thanks for your calling. There's no more enjoyment in life than to be serving the Lord. Yeah. And if you feel there's a calling and you get the opportunity to serve in that calling, uh, that is a great blessing. And your giftings. and yes. when, when you're in that sweet spot, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, like Amen. the sweet spot, spot of a bat in baseball. There's nothing like it yep. when you're right where, where God wants you to be. Mike, we want to talk a little bit about the Institute of Principal Study in just a, a few moments. But uh, just, just to um, get that thread going that we were talking about at the break, 
going back to the Declaration of, uh, of Independence and some of the great w- foundational wisdom of our, our forefathers and the principles that they were employing as they were writing, let's talk a little bit about our rights. We talk a lot about rights today, civil rights and, and such. What are those rights based on on this country, and, and what have we done to those? Well, that is the $64 question of all politics and government. <laughs> because really, the purpose of government is to protect an individual's rights. Uh, the purpose of government is to put the bank robber in jail, to protect us from murder, protect our property. I mean, those are fundamental functions of government that everybody pretty much agrees on. You know, we might disagree about environmental protection. We might disagree about manipulating the economy. Uh, those are questionable areas of government. But I don't think left or right conservative, liberal, Republican, Democrat, uh, most all would agree that a legitimate function of government is to adjudicate disputes in a court system, to protect rights, to have a police force, and for national defense. Those are fundamental, <clears throat> fundamental jobs of government. And yet the way we do that depends on how we view our rights. Uh, for example, if we believe that there is a creator and that God created everything, and if we believe that the Bible is the word of God, then we come to a whole separate set of conclusions about rights than if we do if we believe that we evolved from pond scum. And the truth of the matter is, if we evolved, <clears throat> the rights we have are the survival of the fittest. I mean, that's what Darwin teaches. Uh, survival of the fittest, and uh, the less fit are eaten or killed, and only the most fit survive, and, and evolution progresses that way. So if we are in an evolutionary model, there really are no absolute rights. The only rights you have are the rights that you acquire uh, due to your strength, your speed, your cunning, or your intelligence. Uh, so that's a whole different view of rights. <clears throat> and frankly, we have moved from a creation view of rights in America to an evolutionary view of rights. And even Christians, uh, I had a um, fairly lengthy debate with a pastor of a Bible-teaching church who didn't believe that rights came from God. Uh, he believed that rights come from the majority and that we should only have the rights that the majority gives us. And uh, the question there is, okay, well, do you want to be a black American in 1810, believing that your rights come from the majority? Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think we want to determine the source of rights or the nature of rights by a vote of the majority. Yeah. That's relativism, because the will of the majority is going to change. And what the majority thinks today is different than what they're going to think 30 years from now. Mm-hmm. And we shouldn't have relative standards. We should have absolute standards. And if you believe that your rights come from God, and by the way, Thomas Jefferson, who, Mike, as you mentioned, uh, was not necessarily the most Christian of our founding fathers, uh, he said this in the second paragraph of the Declaration of Independence. He said, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. And he goes on to list some general categories of rights. He believed that rights were endowed to individuals from the Creator. Now, if God gives us rights, then who can legitimately take them away? Only the source of your rights can take them away. So God can legitimately give or take rights. But if he's given, no one else can legitimately take away. Uh, It's not that much different than a, a parent who has a teenage driver who drives the car. If the parent can give the car keys, 
the parent can <laughs> retract. <laughs> the parent the car can take them away. Take them away. Take them away. <laughs> so origins are important. And I don't think the modern church, uh, the people in the modern church, might understand the debate over origins as far as the origin of man, creation of life. You know, do we evolve or were we created? That's an important debate, an important concept. But there are sprouts that come out of that debate, and we need to look at the origins of everything. What are the origins of government authority? How do we know what proper government authority is? What are the origins of individual rights? What are they and where do they come from? And if our rights come from God, and I haven't defined rights yet, and that's a broad topic we may or may not get to, but most of our listeners have some idea of what we're talking about with rights. But if rights come from God, that means they belong to all mankind. Therefore, we don't get our rights by being U.S. citizens. Now, I'll step on a few toes here, but most of this audience uh, probably listens to some conservative or Christian radio at one point or another. And we've wrestled with issues in America like Guantanamo Bay and how we treat terrorists. Mm -hmm. And I hear well-meaning Christians all the time say, well, they're not U.S. citizens, therefore we don't have to protect their rights. Now, is that a biblical view? Mm -hmm. See, what they're saying, if they say that, is that the rights don't come from God. I mean, they're not saying that explicitly. But implicitly, that's what they mean. If we do not give the same rights to a non-citizen that we give to a citizen, then we're saying the source of the rights is the Constitution. And our founding fathers were careful. They didn't want to portray that the Constitution was a source of rights. They believed the Constitution was guaranteeing rights that were already God-given. As Thomas Jefferson said here, we are endowed by our Creator. And there's several passages of Scripture that I think are instructive to us. Um, dealing with justice and rights, and it's not just a matter of being a a citizen. Um, Deuteronomy 16, uh, verse 18 says, You shall not pervert justice, you shall not show partiality. That means we should have the same standard of justice, whether someone's black or white or gray or green or male or female or whatever it is. Um, Deuteronomy 16, 19 through 21 says, Justice and only justice shall you follow, that you may live and inherit the land that the Lord your God is giving you. And then in Deuteronomy 24, do not deprive the alien or the fatherless of justice. Uh, Justice ought to be uh, the same regardless. Now, I'm not suggesting that we take terrorists and release them. What I'm suggesting is that we would treat them as we would an American citizen. We give them a trial. And if there's evidence to convict them, they should be convicted and serve a crime. That is a proper role of government to punish the evildoer. But if there's not evidence to convict them, our standard for trial and convicting ought to be the same for an alien as it is to a U.S. citizen. Mm -hmm. And what do we communicate? We are communicating the source of rights. And if we do anything differently but treat people in Guantanamo Bay the same way we treat a citizen, citizen, as Christians, we're saying that rights don't come from God. Mm -hmm. Rights come from the Constitution. Now, if we remove God as the provider of rights, and we take the evolutionary system, uh, then power becomes the fittest, mm-hmm. and those who don't have power become the unfittest or, or extinct. And so money and votes and uh, who owns the, the House and the Senate becomes the thing, uh, not, not the basis of, of our rights and the foundational principles. Go right out the window. Yeah. If you don't have God as the source of rights and the source of government authority, Mm -hmm. then you have a might makes right. 
And I believe it was Justice Oliver Wendell Holmes that said the main principle of democracy is that justice is defined by being whatever the strongest nation that can whip others believes. <laughs> you know, it's a might makes right sort right. of mentality. Right. And uh, there's a whole other debate about whether we are intended to be a democracy or not. The Founding Fathers actually took a dim view of democracy. Right. They were creating a rule by law, not a rule by majority. Uh, they just had the majority pick leaders, but they didn't under- did not intend for the majority to be picking what was right and wrong or picking policy. They believed those were absolutes that came from Scripture. Speaking about what's right and wrong, what are we teaching our children in schools? Well, here's the problem. Our, our schools, uh, certainly our public schools, and to a lesser extent, but also sometimes our, our private Christian schools, uh, are teaching an evolutionary view of rights because they're not teaching that God-given rights are absolute. They're not teaching that they come from God. And if we teach our children in the schools evolution, they will not believe in God-given rights. How can you have God-given rights if there is no God, if we just evolved? And if that's the case, rights are negotiable. And that's why we're seeing America uh, as a nation where we're losing our rights. And our freedoms and our liberties and our rights are decaying before our eyes. And and the number of violations of that, the average person may not even be aware of the number of violations. But uh, we've passed laws in America that have allowed the government to bypass the constitutional protection against getting a warrant for search and seizure. Uh, In America, under the Patriot Act, if you are suspected of a terrorist act, you lose your rights. Not being convicted, but being suspected. And if you're suspected of a terrorist act, uh, they no longer have to get a search warrant to search your home, to listen to your phone conversations. All those protections that go back even through the English common law system and and were adopted by America are, are gone. And what's interesting is that we have court precedent in America that says that anyone who holds a sign on a sidewalk protesting abortion is by definition a terrorist. Hmm. So if you've ever done that, our Congress has said that you no longer have a right to have a search warrant required. You don't have any of those rights because you now are defined as a terrorist. You know, when you think back to uh, the great universities when they were founded, and they were founded for specific pur- pur- purposes, and, and we've wandered far away from their original intent. Their original intent had a lot to do with teaching those principles, didn't they? Yeah, Harvard and Yale and Princeton were all started as, as religious schools. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, they're not that anymore. Right. Uh, or if they are religious schools, they are preaching the religion of humanism right. and, and atheism. And our founding fathers recognized the importance of education. And I think to a large extent the church, uh, generically, the, the body of Christ, uh, through the 1800s and into the 1900s, began to take a hands-off attitude towards academia. We kind of retreated from the halls of academia. And so our major institutions of higher learning began to move away from Christian doctrine. And so they moved towards relativism, towards atheism. And once you accept atheism and relativism, a whole bunch of evils just flood in, and the floodgates are opened. Well, Mike, uh, we're going to take a quick break. At, at AVC here in Lighthouse Live, we have an annual tradition. We do. Independence Day, where, where we just want to have some fun. And uh, there are two guys, and they're probably not real spiritual, but boy, are they fun. <laughs> they are fun. But, and let's, uh, let's take that break now, and we'll be back with more on Lighthouse Live. Well, Costello, I'm going to New York with you. 
You know, Bucky Harris, the Yanks manager, gave me a job as coach for as long as you're on the team. Look, Abbott, if you're the coach, you must know all the players. I certainly do. Well, you know, I, mean, I never met the guys, so you'll have to tell me their names, and then I'll know who's playing on the team. Oh, I'll, I'll tell you their names, but you know, strange it may seem, they give these ballplayers nowadays very peculiar names. You mean funny names? Strange names, pet names, like Dizzy Dean and... His brother Daffy. Daffy Dean. I'm their French cousin. French. Gouffet. Gouffet Dean. Oh, I see. <laughs> well, let's see, we have on the bags, we have who's on first, what's on second, I don't know who's on third. That's what I want to find I out. I say, who's on first, what's on second, I don't know who's on third. Are you the manager? Yes. You're going to be the coach, too? Yes. And you know the fellow's name? Well, I should. Well, then who's on first? Yes. I mean the fellow's name. Who? The guy on first. Who? The first baseman. Who? The guy playing first. Who is on first? I'm asking you who's on first. That's the man's name. That's whose name? Yes. Well, go ahead and tell me. That's it. That's who? Yes. <laughs> Look, you got a first baseman. Certainly. Who's playing first? That's right. When you pay off the first baseman every month, who gets the money? Every dollar of it. <laughs> All I'm trying to find out is the fellow's name on first base. Who? The guy that gets the That's money. That's it. Who gets the money on he first base? He does, every dollar. Sometimes his wife comes down and collects it. Who's what? Yes. <laughs> What's wrong with that? Look, all I want to know is when you sign up the first baseman, how does he sign his name to the Who? contract? The guy. Who? How does he sign his That's name? That's how he signs it. Who? Yes. <laughs> all I'm trying to find out is what's the guy's name on first base No, what is on second base I'm not asking you who's on second Who's on first One base at a time Well, don't change the players I'm not changing nobody Take it easy, buddy I'm only asking you Who's the guy on first base That's right Okay All right I mean, what's the guy's name on first base No, what is on second I'm not asking you who's on who's second Who's on first I don't know Oh, he's on third We're not talking about him Now, let's <laughs> How did I get on third base? Why, you mentioned his name. If I mentioned a third baseman's name, who did I say is playing third? No, who's playing first? What's on first? What's on second? I don't know. He's on third. There I go, back on third again. <laughs> Now, who's playing third base? Why do you insist on putting who on third base? What am I putting on third? Uh, what is on second? You don't want who on second? Who is on first? I don't know. Third, third base? base. <laughs> Look, you got outfield? Sure. The left fielder's name. Why? I just thought I'd ask. Well, I just thought I'd tell you. Then tell me who's playing left field. Who is playing first? I'm not. Stay out of the infield. <laughs> I want to know what's the guy's name in left field. No, what is on second? I'm not asking you who's on who's second. Who's on first? I don't know. Third, third base. <laughs> Why? Because. Oh, he's center field. <laughs> look, look, look. You got a pitcher on a team? Sure. The pitcher's name? Tomorrow. You don't want to tell me today? I'm telling you, then man. Go ahead. Tomorrow. What time? What time what? What time tomorrow? You're going to tell me who's pitching. Now, listen. Who is not pitching? I'll who break is... your arm, you say. Who's on first? <laughs> I want to know what's the pitcher's name. What's on second? I don't know. Third base. <laughs> Certainly. The catcher's name. Today. Today. And tomorrow's pitcher. Now you've got it. All we got is a couple of days on the team. <laughs> you know, I'm a catcher, too. No, they don't. I get behind the plate, do some fancy catching. Tomorrow's pitching on my team, and a heavy hitter gets up. Yes. Now, the heavy hitter bunched the ball. When he bunched the ball, me being a good catcher, I'm going to throw the guy out of first base, so I pick up the ball and throw it to who? Now, that's the first thing you've said right. I don't even know what I'm talking about. <laughs> well, that's all you have to do. Is to throw the ball at first base. Yes. Now, who's got it? Naturally. <laughs> Somebody's got to get it. Now, who has it? Naturally. Who? Naturally. Naturally? Naturally. So I pick up the ball and I throw it to naturally. No, you don't. You throw the ball to who? Naturally. That's different. That's what I said. You're not saying that. I throw the ball to naturally. You throw it to who? Naturally. That's it. That's what I said. Listen, you ask me. I throw the ball to who? Naturally. Now, you ask me. You throw the ball to who? Naturally. That's it. Same as you. Don't change your mind. Same as you. Go ahead. Now, get it over. I throw the ball to who? 
Whoever it is drops the ball and the guy runs a second. Yes. Who picks up the ball and throws it to what? What throws it to? I don't know. I don't know. Throws it back to tomorrow. Triple play. Yes. Another guy gets up and it's a long fly ball to be caused. Why? I don't know. He's on third and I don't give a darn. Well, what? I said I don't give a darn. Oh, that's our shortstop. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you know the the timing we're talking about is impeccable. Yeah. Yeah. And and so much work had to go into that rapid. And and if you listen to it, there's a rhythm to that that is just pure genius. They don't do it? that anymore, do they? It just doesn't. Uh, it's, 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 it's rare. Like it's anymore. rare. I, I was listening to that and thinking, you know, that that is the way that a lot of Christians see economics and government. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they just they're just confused and. You know, if, you, if they get the basic principle down, it's not that complicated. But you go around in circles and around in circles, and, of course, all the commentators today really make things more complicated than they ought to be. That's well, beautiful. Mike, that opens the door for us. We have uh, about six or seven minutes left. Let's talk a little bit about uh, the economy today. I know you've been uh, asked to lecture in, in several venues about mm-hmm. the economy, and as believers, our response to it confusion out there over what's going on and i'm sure a confusion about what the situation really is and also confusion about what our responses ought to be yeah you know it's it's not all that complex but it's probably a little more complex than six or seven minutes but the the, the simple answer is this that um, we had too much credit extension for home buying and purchasing Uh, when i was a kid growing up my dad was in the real estate business the average family who purchased a home put 20% down payment. That was just the norm. 20% down payment, you financed 80. But if you look at the 1980s, occasionally you start to see people with 15% down payments. And then in the 90s, you see people buying with only 10% down. And by the time you get to the early part of this century, uh, people are buying homes with either 5% down or in some cases, no percent down. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were mortgage companies in this area actually making 105% loans. You could buy a $300,000 house, no down payment, and they would give you $15,000 cash to go buy a car or furnish the house out the door. Mm. Now, how does this happen? Well, this does not happen in a free market. Who among my listeners, if you were going to invest in real estate, would make mortgage loans to people and give them a 100% loan? No, you want some security besides the property because they could trash the property and you get it back, and you have to pay to fix it up. That's what we're seeing. So why do all these banks and mortgage companies make so many unwise loans? Are they just stupid investors? And the answer is no, they're really not. One has to understand the Federal Reserve System. And we have a book on our our website that explains the operations of the Federal Reserve. But the Federal Reserve was created in 1913, designed to help stabilize, supposedly, our economy. And the Federal Reserve stimulates the economy by changing credit rules. Uh, Everything from interest rates are controlled by the Fed, reserve requirements of banks, and the Federal Reserve, in an effort to keep our economy from going into recession, kept trying to stimulate the economy when they ought not have. And this stimulation occurred by pushing more and more free money to banks. And banks are just wholesalers of money. They buy low and sell high. Well, in the Federal Reserve, for a period of, of six or eight years, is giving money to banks between 0% interest and a quarter percent interest. What is a bank going to do? Hmm. Imagine if you had a T-shirt shop and you sold T-shirts and your supplier, instead of charging you $10 for a T-shirt, made half of them available for free. 
really? Well, you're going to sell tons of them, but you're going to lower the price to sell as many as possible. Sure. So the Federal Reserve caused the bubble, and the building industry booms, and the, and the real estate industry booms, and we create way more demand. And too much of our economy's resources went into housing. Well, at some point, an artificial bubble has to burst. Right. And that bubble burst, people lose their homes, capital is maldistributed in the economy. Right. And so that, that really is the cause of the problem. So what's the solution that we're being sold? The solution is more government stimulation of the economy. And it's a little bit like an alcoholic uh, the day after a big drunk who has a hangover and says, boy, I feel hungover. How about another shot of whiskey? Uh, and that's what we're doing right now is we're getting a little more, a little more whiskey. Mike, a tremendous amount of, of study has gone into uh, uh, your presentations and, and your website. Let's tell everyone how to get there, how they can uh, take a look at the research you've done and, and contact you. How can they can sure. learn more? Uh, okay, well, our, our website is uh, a good place to start. Uh, they can just go to www.principlestudies.org. Uh, that's P-R-I-N-C-I-P-L-E, studies, S-T-U-D-I-E-S, dot org. And our website has some information about our organization. It has an email uh, address to contact us. Yes. Uh, we have articles. There's a section there for articles and commentaries, and they can see our commentaries on the economic crisis. There's a lot of good articles and content there. Also articles on the proper role of government and an audio section where they yes. can get audio recordings Oops, of some of our and teaching. materials and debates and things and all sure. sorts of things. Wonderful website. Yeah. And they can call our office as well, which is area code 209-575-2005. Mike, where do you see the Institute for Principal Studies going in the next couple of years? What's your vision for that? Our, our vision is to do for the fields of economics and government what Focus the Family did for the family, mm. or to do for economics and government what uh, Christian Financial Concepts and Crown Financial Ministries right. has done for Christian finance. We want to help the church to have a biblical perspective of the proper role of government and of macroeconomics, of large-scale issues in the economy. And there are biblical principles here. Most people don't know that. Mike, uh, we've got about a minute left. Where, what are some of the venues that you've been at over the past year very quickly? Boy, you know, the Lord's opened up a lot of doors. Uh, I've taught in uh, in Denver and in Michigan and even in Hawaii, which that was tough duty. Amen. Uh, hey. And uh, so we, we've had a lot of open doors. And uh, we, we teach a 20-hour course, which we teach throughout Northern California, which is a 10-week class. And we encourage people that are in the Northern California area to contact us and see yes. about signing up for one of those classes. Amen. God bless you and the... Institute for Principal Studies. It's great to be here. May you be blessed and come back again. I'm happy to. Let's do this again. All right. Well, happy Fourth of July to all of our dear friends who are listening, and uh, may God continue to bless you. And keep the bottle rockets out of my neighborhood. Okay. Please do. All right. <laughs>